Being a chef means keeping your cool in the kitchen. And with Resi Priority Notify and Global Dining Access through my Amex Platinum card, right this way, it's nice to try someone else's food for a change. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. The Volume. Hi, everybody. Welcome in to the Friday morning podcast. My buddy Mike Silver in about 10 minutes will stop by. Some thoughts on the Niners, uh, some thoughts on Aaron Rodgers, some thoughts on OBJ and Lamar, thoughts on Dan Snyder mercifully finally selling uh, the Washington football team, the Commanders. Uh, he's been a bad owner. It's hard to explain to somebody in their 20s or early 30s how popular Washington was uh, back in the 70s and 80s. It was the Washington, at the time, Redskins, not the Green Bay Packers that were on TV every weekend. The biggest rivalry in the NFL at that time was Washington head coach George Allen and the Cowboys and head coach Tom Landry. Second was probably Steelers, uh, Chuck Knoll and the Raiders. Some of that was John Madden, I believe, was the coach, or the Dolphins, Don Shula. Like Dan Snyder has done an egregious job. I mean, Donald Sterling was a bad guy and a bad owner. But the Clippers were never a huge brand. Marge Schott took the Cincinnati Reds, arguably the most popular franchise in the 70s, early 80s, and ruined them. And Dan Snyder did as good a job as you possibly could do to ruin and tarnish a great name. It didn't matter who was quarterback. Billy Kilmer in the 70s. It could be uh, Joe Theismann. Mark Rippon, Doug Williams, Washington was really good for a long time, but Snyder was greedy, treated people poorly, about the money, about himself, and hopefully the new owners, I mean, it can't be difficult, will just embrace the community. When I was a kid growing up, the first game I ever remember watching was 1972. Uh, it was January or February. It was the Super Bowl between Washington and the Miami Dolphins on a small black and white TV in my bedroom downstairs. We had a Frank Lloyd flat roof house in Grayland, Washington, and downstairs I had a little black and white TV. And I can remember on a, a Sunday watching a Super Bowl in my little black and white TV. It wasn't nearly as big back then. And uh, Garoya Premium was a kicker for the Miami Dolphins. He screwed up 14 to 7. Dolphins beat Washington in the Super Bowl. He screwed up, tried to pass a ball. Washington grabbed it. That was their only touchdown of the game. But those Washington teams were my favorite. Dyrone Talbert, Charlie Taylor, the wide receiver, Larry Brown, the running back, Billy Kilmer, the quarterback, Mike Bass, the cornerback, Pat Fisher, Chris Hamburger. That was literally you know, 50 years ago, and I can remember half the roster. And it just remained. Joe Gibbs took over. What a proud franchise. And Dan Snyder basically killed a great brand. Killed it. Hard to do. I mean, it just, it would be the equivalent of ruining the Braves or the Dodgers or the Yankees brand. 
the equivalent of that. It would be the equivalent of ruining Michigan football or Oklahoma football, just ruining the brand. How bad would you have to be for how long to completely ruin the brand? People now don't even think of Washington as a top 10 franchise. Forget winning, just merchandise. There used to be a 25-year waiting list, waiting list for season tickets for Washington. Look it up back in the 70s and 80s. It's, it's hard to explain to people that are 25 years old or 35 years old how big Washington was. They were part of the biggest rivalry in the National Football League with the Dallas Cowboys. So uh, Snyder has been an utter disaster. Robert Sarver with the Phoenix Suns, Marge Schott, Donald Sterling. It is, it's not like owning any other business. It's, it's front-facing. It's public. Your employees are vital rock stars in a community, part of the charitable part of the community, the entertainment portion of your community. Uh, they're in schools with kids. They're filling stadiums. Uh, they're starting businesses. You know, pro sports can mean so much to a community. And so you have to get the right owners. It's funny. I, I go skiing in Utah. And the area I ski has some, you know, really beautiful homes on the mountain. And one of them is Dan Snyder's. <laughs> and I, every time I ski by it, I'm like, God, worst owner in pro sports. The sport I love. Worst owner right there. Good riddance. One of the things I love about having Draymond Green as part of the volume is that I think there are two athletes or former athletes in America that stand above the rest in terms of being analysts. The best former athlete, currently a TV analyst for any network and any sport, is Charles Barkley. He literally gets in the news cycle. He is in the news cycle. He creates stories. And the reason he does is because he's brutally honest. I'm watching him the other night, and Charles Barkley comes out and says, don't waste your time. Some of these games aren't worth watching. Why he would get criticism from the blogs shows you how out of touch the blogs are. That's why he's popular. Because the blogs play it safe and Barkley doesn't. Let's face it. Celtics, Sixers, Bucks, Easily the best teams in the East. Miami's good enough to make somebody uncomfortable. Cleveland's good enough to make somebody uncomfortable. Those are the three best teams. Now, the West is wide open. The East isn't. And the second person, a current athlete that is also a podcaster or broadcaster, is Draymond Green. Draymond and Charles, to me, are the best current or former players in any sport, baseball, football, basketball, hockey, MLS. Why? Because they're fearless. Doesn't mean they're reckless. They're fearless. And it's a great example of, you know, the internet Twitter is constantly rewarding people who play it safe and say the right things. And Barkley's not on Twitter and Draymond doesn't give a shit. And for all you young broadcasters out there, 22% of the country is on Twitter. 78% aren't. It's not real life. I mean, there's nobody in the NFL, and I work at a network with a lot of good analysts. There's nobody in the NFL that's as relevant or creates news like Barkley. And I think mostly because people are a little timid, a little fearful of saying something that rocks the boat, contrarian, getting beat up on social media. But I love the fact that Draymond Green came out and said, I couldn't believe LeBron was gassed the other night. Draymond is friends with LeBron James. He doesn't care. I have no problem with 
most analysts have relationships. I mean, Troy Aikman obviously knows Jerry Jones, but I never felt Troy Aikman had a problem ripping Jerry Jones and criticizing Jerry Jones. Uh, but I think that shows the fortitude and the fearlessness of Draymond Green. Is He doesn't care about his relationships. The bottom line here is LeBron did look gassed. Jason McIntyre was at the game. Game was over. LeBron was done. Hands on hips. Uh, it should be 20th, 20th year in the NBA. But I think Barkley and Draymond have really separated. Not to say others don't have talent. They have separated from everybody else in the analyst game. One a former star, one a current star. The NBA playoffs are upon us. 20 teams get in, all trying to get that one crown. For last-minute amazing deals to watch your favorite NBA team, it can be the Warriors, it could be the Kings, it could be the Sixers, it could be the Bucks. to get great last-minute deals on amazing tickets, check out GameTime, the fastest-growing ticketing app in the United States. It's called GameTime. doesn't stop, by the way, with the NBA. They've got NHL tickets, Major League Baseball tickets, They've also got concerts and comedy shows. Game time. Download the Game Time app and the redeem code is Colin, C-O-L-I-N. $20 off your first purchase. Terms apply. Download the Game Time app. Enter the code Colin, C-O-L-I-N, for $20 off. Here we go. NBA playoffs, baseball season just starting here in April, NHL as well. No matter where you live, get out, have some fun this week and this year. Download the Game Time app, last minute ticket deals, lowest prices guaranteed. Attention all wrestling aficionados. Wrestling with Freddie makes its triumphant return for an electrifying fourth season. This is Freddie Prince Jr., and I am beyond thrilled to announce that our wrestling extravaganza is back, and joining me once again is the one and only Jeff Dye. Get ready as we highlight the most jaw-dropping matches, dissect the fiercest feuds, and uncover the latest twists and turns in the world of pro wrestling. We're dusting off our legendary side quests and unleashing a barrage of brand new segments that will keep you guys on the edge of your seat like our talks on unsanctioned Thursdays. Freddie, you know we gotta give the people what they want. This season, we have an all-star lineup of special guests who are gonna be gracing our podcast, bringing with them their own unique insights, experiences, and all of that in the world of pro wrestling and beyond. Whether you're a seasoned wrestling veteran or a fresh-faced newcomer, we promise an experience like no other. So buckle up, wrestling fans. Listen to Wrestling with Freddie as part of the My Cultura Podcast Network, available on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. All right, my buddy Mike Silver, part of the volume, longtime NFL reporter, writes for Bally Sports and the San Francisco Chronicle, actually going to be doing some Warrior games since he knows Steve Kerr and knows hoops which is great. We'll get into that in a second. So Daniel Snyder, um, it's hard to ruin a great brand, right? Like, like, like Donald Sterling was a bad human, but that was never a great brand, right? Uh, Robert Sarver did all he could to ruin the Suns, but it wasn't a huge national brand. 70s, 80s, 90s, Washington was the Packers. I mean, they were, when I, when I was a kid growing up, they were the franchise after Dallas and the Steelers. It's and it's such a great fan base. Exactly. Exactly. So a lot of people felt, despite the harassment charges, that the owners would support Dan Snyder and he would just 
figure out a way, despite bad PR, to hang around. Any insight to what possibly happened? Well, I think one thing that happened is that one of his own publicly started talking about maybe kicking him out. And I know Jim Irsay really, really well. I admire his uh, conviction. He goes against the grain at times. It's possible Jim Irsay just spoke honestly and from his heart. It's also possible that Jim Irsay had had some conversations with other owners who said, you know what? We agree with you. And if you say that, you know, you'd, you'd have our at least quiet support. But that was not insignificant when Jim Irsay started public, you know, came out publicly and said, yeah, I don't know. Maybe we should get rid of this guy. Jim Irsay has three daughters. He's very close to him. Uh, he didn't like uh, the way that uh, the allegations against Dan Snyder were selling NFL owners and the league. Um, you know, prior to that, it had been thought, well, a lot of owners have skeletons. And right. Trust me, I work. I worked for them for eight years. Trust me, <laughs> they do. Uh, <laughs> whole other podcast topic. But, uh, you know, a lot of owners have skeletons and a lot of owners, more charitably, could have people come out of the woodwork to accuse them of things that maybe aren't totally accurate. But they didn't want to open that can of worms where, you know, okay, if accusations happen, it sets the stage for these. Right. Fr franchises they want to be generational that while we've been on this podcast that you know each one has appreciated and another hundred thousand dollars or something uh you know they didn't want to open that can of worms and remember uh jerry richardson faced some pretty serious allegations just passed away recently um that problem got solved because he was older and he was just done he was like you know what fine I'm out, and they didn't have to. The NFL owners didn't have to deal with it. Uh, yeah. The NBA solved the problem twice by throwing money at the problem. Essentially, a having the balls, Adam Silver, on his like first day on the job to say you're out, Donald Sterling, whether it's constitutional or not, and then a giant offer from Steve Ballmer, and and again with the Suns that happened with Sarver. So um, you know this is a little bit of all of that. Daniel Snyder wasn't going to make it easy and walk away. But I think once he saw, heard Jim Irsay say that, he realized, man, something has turned. Now, the next least popular owner is Jimmy Haslam, <laughs> who infuriated owners for another reason, uh, an egregiously bad, fully guaranteed contract to Deshaun Watson. So, if we had a ranking of least popular owners among other billionaire owners, Haslam now is number one, right? Well, that's so cool that you broached that because I used to do owner rankings. As far as I know, I'm the only one who's ever <laughs> I done remember. it. I did, the, I did them annually for SI.com and then Yahoo. Um, and of course, they were my rankings about who I thought were doing the best jobs of owning teams. But that actually has my wheels spinning. Like, what about an insidey owner rankings of which owners are the most hated among the other owners? And, you know, you bring up a good point. But I think in the end, you know, yeah, that frustrated other owners that Jimmy Haslam did that because now we got to deal with this guaranteed contract stuff. And other owners didn't like it when David Tepper came in and gave Matt yeah. Rule – Sounds weird in retrospect, but gave Matt Rule all that money uh, because it messed up the coaching contract market. But I feel like owners get over that stuff 
you know, eventually. But the you know what owners can't get over? Um, allegations, if proven, and maybe we'll never know, that one owner, Daniel Snyder, allegedly, cooked the books and screwed them out of their share of the <laughs> yeah. gate. That's less forgivable, uh, you know, for the billionaire set. So, yeah, they tend to stick together. They tend to not want to set precedents like, oh, a couple of accusations could knock X owner out of the league and make them lose this incredible investment. But, um, you know, Daniel Snyder put them through the rigor in, in a lot of ways. And uh, Ursay possibly knowing that he spoke for a larger contingent was kind of like, okay, um, this is this is a nightmare. And look, uh, if the Colts play the commanders, if they're still called that, yeah. uh, at, at the FedEx field or a new stadium, and Jim Ursay takes the field pregame to go schmooze, he should get like an adoring celebration and a prolonged ovation from those Washington fans for a huge, huge assist on getting Daniel Snyder the F out because heaven knows it's been long coming and it's tough to shed any tears. By the way, there's usually about at any given time about seven or eight great quarterbacks in the NFL, seven or eight great coaches in the NFL, and seven and eight great GMs in the league. I'd argue... They're not seven or eight great owners. I'm dead serious. Like, yeah, I mean, that's again, like doing the rankings all those years, I really had to think about it. You would here, I'll, I'll say it a different way. You would think that the people who own NFL teams, because they've succeeded or been born into success, but the ones who succeeded, you'd think they're competitive. People and now they're in the public eye. You'd think 32 people would be going after it. I'll do anything to win. Nah, it's uh, it's a much, much, much smaller number. There, there's a large segment of ownership that's like, you know what? Franchise is appreciating. We're guaranteed a profit simply from the TV deals alone. And if we win, cool. If we win once in a while, great. If we win more than once in a while, right on. Let's ride that wave. But they're not living and breathing in it. So when I did the rankings, the people who lived and breathed it aggressively tried to generate revenue and then aggressively tried to look for ways to spend that revenue, either through salary cap manipulation or non-cap expenditures like coaches. Um, I put very high, which is paradoxically, weirdly, in my very first owner rankings, I had Daniel Snyder crazy high because my thought was, yeah, he's He's got terrible people skills. He does things to undermine his coach and GM by butting up to players. But at least he's trying really hard to get money and use that money to win. And he really wanted to win. He he fell more and more as the rankings went on. And unfortunately, the rankings didn't go on long enough for him to really, really, uh, you know, go to his rightful place. But um yeah, it, and I, I just want to give a very brief history lesson for uh, you non-old people. And you'll remember some of this, Colin. You probably weren't paying as close of attention. But the old NFL, I, I called them Pulitboro bosses. You had all these families that kind of had teams, and they were like, we're going to share everything. We're just going to share the revenue from the TV deals. We're going to share revenue from the gate. We're going to split it up, and we're all going to – 
two things equally. And, uh, you know, as lefty as I can get sometimes, when I when it comes to NFL ec economics, I'm very like invisible hand, free market. And I sided with the Eddie DeBartolos and the Jerry Joneses who shook things up and said, wait a minute, why are we sitting around you know, taking our guaranteed money and not trying to aggressively generate revenue. We're these incredibly valuable franchises. Let's get after it. And in turn, they tried to turn that into uh, ways to get ahead on the field and to the point where, oh, we got to create a salary cap. to control. So the NFL uh, has a lot of communist, socialist, properties. They share money. They have a worse shall be first scheduling formula. They have a worse shall be first draft formula. And I could go on and on and on about, you know, central control and all that. But, um, you know, there are, there's still some old guard owners who subscribe to that model. And uh, I will give it to Daniel Snyder that he was not one of those. So uh, I want to talk about the Niners because you have such in-depth, um, uh, you have tentacles all over that organization. Um, and, and by the way, increasingly, when I follow your Twitter feed, all your critics are lightening up because you've been right so many times and broken so many stories. They're like, Silver, I hate. Eh, whatever. What's the latest news? So the Trey Lance stuff is interesting. I was talking to Jordan Palmer the other day, and he's like, you know, if you look at the offense San Francisco runs, a lot of these plays are schemed to succeed. Sam Darnold's going to have the best protection, the best weapons, the best coach he's ever had. And we know he's a big, strong, athletic kid and coachable and hardworking. He's just not accurate enough. But this system makes you more accurate. Um, don't be shocked if Jimmy Garoppolo is not nearly as good with the Raiders as he was with the Niners. So Brock Purdy, I think the franchise likes a lot, and Sam Darnold are in-house. We all know at some point, and I think the Niners are, and even some of the sound bites and some of the quotes from your articles, they're going to move off something if they missed. They're not going to try to double down on wrong. Let's just be honest. Could Trey Lance be moved before the season? He could, but I believe that Brock Purdy's injury and the uncertainty that still surrounds his recovery made that much, much less likely. Um, before the... Uh, playoffs, I wrote and reported, it's over. Brock Purdy's the guy. Because they want to go with this model yeah. where they pay everybody and have the quarterback on the rookie deal. Yeah. That's what that's what trading for that pick was about. That's what drafting Lance was supposed to be about. And with Purdy, the model's even better. You're not even allowed to reopen his contract for two more years. Right. It's even cheaper than Trey Lance's deal. And, the, and he showed Kyle Shanahan you know, people are like, well, how can you say Purdy? I'm like, I'm not saying it. Kyle believes it based on what he saw from Purdy. He's the guy. So going into that Philly game for the conference championship, the only thing that could have derailed that plan was what happened. If Brock Purdy had broken his leg, it would have been brutal and it would have hurt and it would have sucked. But they would have been like, fine, he'll come back. You, it's Because of what happened to his throwing elbow, you're, you're not totally sure. A, you're not sure when, and B, you're still not positive that it's going to be like it was before. And I have PTSD because a lot of my Twitter critics probably weren't born when I was right about the Joe Montana, Steve Young stuff. But Joe Montana missed basically two seasons after elbow surgeries. And he did come back after that and have two really, really good years with the Chiefs. 
but nothing is promised. And so I think because of that, it gives them an opening to say, look, we knew Lance was going to take a while to develop because he was raw. It's taken longer. It didn't work when we just handed it to him last year. We ended up having to bring Garoppolo back as a hedge and ultimately turn to Purdy. But um, maybe we can develop him and use this offseason to get him some more reps. And I don't know if this offense makes you more accurate because you're going to have to be more accurate than or consistently accurate than Trey Lance was before he got hurt last year. But, you know, there's still a lot of things to potentially like about him. So I believe what they'll do is they'll say, look, Purdy's not going to be here until at least the start of the season, maybe longer. Uh, we're going to split reps between Lance and Darnold, see how they react, see what we have. Basically, if one of them has to start the opener, it's the guy we think gives us the best chance to win. And I think one thing that people are missing here is that when they say, well, they're going to trade Trey Lance and admit their mistake. Yeah, eventually they're going to admit their mistake if it was a mistake, but they're not get fielding offers to like get back in the first round for Trey Lance. And I know it only takes one team, but if they trade Trey Lance now, I think it's for a three or something. And so I just don't think you have urgency to, you don't know about Purdy. You'd like another option. You'd like to see if you could develop a more because you do have a lot invested in him. You're not paying him a lot and you can always move him, uh, you know, a year from now, if, it goes the way you want it to with Purdy and possibly if it does with Darnold. So I, I think if someone called him and said, we will give you a two, like something they thought oh, was a more two, than they they'd taken a second. Yeah. They, yeah. I, I, I think if someone calls and says, we'll give you a three for Trey Lance, they go a three. Well, let's see. We currently have 96 picks in the third round. Yeah. Um, not all these guys are going to make our team. I mean, I just don't think, I think I'd rather have a chance to, you know, develop them this offseason. Maybe they will. I don't even think they, they'll necessarily get offered a three right now. But listen, if he goes out and looks good in the preseason and possibly early in the season, they could get a lot more for him a year from now. Attention all wrestling aficionados. Wrestling with Freddie makes its triumphant return for an electrifying fourth season. This is Freddie Prince Jr., and I am beyond thrilled to announce that our wrestling extravaganza is back, and joining me once again is the one and only Jeff Dye. Get ready as we highlight the most jaw-dropping matches, dissect the fiercest feuds, and uncover the latest twists and turns in the world of pro wrestling. We're dusting off our legendary side quests and unleashing a barrage of brand new segments that will keep you guys on the edge of your seat like our talks on unsanctioned Thursdays. Freddie, you know we gotta give the people what they want. This season, we have an all-star lineup of special guests who are gonna be gracing our podcast, bringing with them their own unique insights, experiences, and all of that in the world of pro wrestling and beyond. Whether you're a seasoned wrestling veteran or a fresh-faced newcomer, we promise an experience like no other. So buckle up, wrestling fans. Listen to Wrestling with Freddie as part of the My Cultura Podcast Network, available on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty, Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.
So uh, you went to Cal, uh, Aaron Rodgers did, but Aaron Rodgers uh, has gotten a little bit more uh, indifferent and uh, critical of the media over the last several years. And I said this on the show today. Uh, there's a lot of reports now that this thing won't get done, Jets and pa Packers, until after the draft. So Green Bay does have a need at tight end that's fairly urgent. They'll probably draft a tight end in the first round. They need another receiver, pretty thin and young at receiver. They'll go that in the second round. But the roster is good. Not great, but it's good. It's not San Francisco. It's not Philadelphia. Um, I don't think it's as good maybe as, a, you know, a Buffalo or, a, you know, the top teams in the AFC. But it's a good roster. Um I believe that Aaron, if he just came out and just said, guys, I'm in for two years minimum, it would be over. You could then the Jets would be like, OK, we know it. You know it. But I, I said this today and um, I've been critical of Aaron, but Aaron's too smart to not know that once you take the most money, you won't have the best roster. He took the money. He's too smart to think, yeah, two rookie receivers. I'm not going to work with them in the offseason. That'll work right. great. I honestly yeah. think that we all make choices on what matters to us. You have a great family, great friends in your career. You have prioritized those, and they're all strong. Some people care about their career. Some people care about social life. Some want less stress. Aaron's made a decision, in my opinion, and winning second. What he wants is control over the media, over situations, over the Packers, that he could end all this bullshit. He can end the drama, Mike. If he just said two years, I'm in, I'll think about a third. Why doesn't he do that? Well, first of all, I've also made some bad decisions in terms of priorities, specifically continuing to root for Cal, <laughs> uh, which is, you know, no, I, and I, I joke. But, you know, I, I, charitably for Aaron, I would say this. He, he said he was thinking about retiring, you know, very seriously recently. That's what he, you know, will take him at his word. It's I think it's better not to say I'm in for two years if you're not sure that you are. And sure, he could say I'm in for two years and, you know, by December be like, oh, my, you know, this is terrible. I'm out of here. But maybe it's to his credit that he's not sure he's in for two years. And listen, I know I know from talking to my sources that the Jets understand that there's a scenario where he only plays one and they are not telling the Packers, sorry, man, um, you know, we take it or leave it. What they're saying to the Packers is, look, man, you know, if he comes and he plays one year and we give up all this, that seems kind of skewed. Is there a mechanism in this trade where if that happens, we get something back? after he retires. And I think that's, uh, you know, they consider that a reasonable request. So yeah, Aaron could end that if he just said I'm in for two, but maybe it's to Aaron's credit that he's not saying that because he's just not sure. Your guess, how long he would play with the Jets. I think it's two. It could, you know, Aaron's career, first year as a starter in Green Bay, first year with Hackett, it has taken him usually because I've tr I've been told he's not a big grinder in the offseason, like a Brady, a Peyton, or a Russell Wilson, that Aaron's second year is usually the year he pops. Well, I don't think he wants to do a one walk off and be average. I think I think he wants to end. It's good for his legacy. It's good for money. It's good. I think he wants to have a, a, a viable year. And I don't think his first year, frankly, is going to be great. But he doesn't consider this year one. First of all, 
year one with Hackett on the floor was a whole new scheme. And that I believe that was a legitimate adjustment. By the way, they got to the NFC Championship game. He did not have a great statistical year, but yeah. they went 13-3 and three and got to the NFC Championship game. But I think the way that he and the Jets are thinking of this is this is essentially year four after a gap because it's Hackett and because it's that offense. And it's not like Hackett plus LaFleur, by the way. It's Hackett plus Sala, who's like, you run the offense. I'm... You know, I'll I'll keep an eye on my specialty, which is defense. So if you believe that Aaron and Hackett are now resuming a very fruitful partnership that won consecutive MVPs their next two years together, and it's the Jets receivers and other players who are going to have to adjust to that, Aaron may not think it's – he. Aaron probably thinks I'm going to just be rolling from the get-go. But going back to what you said earlier, just as he – made a decision not to work with the new receivers a year ago when clearly, as Patrick Mahomes could tell you, that was an important thing to do for winning. Um, I think that's what you need to look at. If this trade doesn't get done uh, draft weekend, you will probably hear, I suspect, hey, it turns out Aaron Rodgers and Garrett Wilson and Alan Lazard and, and – you know, uh, all those Jets targets are working out in L.A. or somewhere and they're having because there's nothing to stop him. You can't say he's tampering right. and you can't say Garrett Wilson's tampering. So I, I, I think it is important to, him to hit the ground running in year one and that that'll be the way we know if there's no trade right away or in the next couple of weeks, I would I would expect we'll see him and those guys for the Jets start to work together. As Mike Silver is prone to do, either strong opinions or breaking stories, there was a report about Nick Cesario, former Patriot, now running the Texans, that he may be going back to New England, um, which would not shock me because Cal McNair, and I've got pretty good intel on this, um, is one of the stranger owners to work with in the NFL. I'll just leave it at that. Uh, it's interesting. Um, tell me your thoughts on that rumor, because I think D'Amico Ryans is going to now mostly run the show. Is it a power struggle? What is it? So I piled onto this rumor today, and I'll, I'll walk you through. Um, you know we live in this little insular, gossipy world. And yeah. I, it, it is so quaint on social media or otherwise when people say, they don't leak. The 49ers don't leak. They don't talk. And fans think they know things and that journalists would never know things because they don't leak. Like, if you fans understood how much talking is going on at all times in our little world, you would be, you know, your mind would be yep. and I'm not good. I won't reveal too many secrets, but you know what I mean. Oh, yeah. And so at the owners' meetings recently, there are a lot of people there, including me, and a lot of drinking, a lot of talking, and I heard a lot of talking about Nick Casario, and I wasn't hearing, hey, he might want to go back to New England. I was hearing, hey, he's out. He's going to be out. Now, I'm, I didn't hear it from a source or source says good enough to report this is happening, so I want to be clear. I heard that rumor along with other people that Nick Casario 
is going to be out after the draft. And that would presumably be a, hey, we're hiring D'Amico Ryans. D'Amico, don't worry. We're going to get you, let you get your own GM. Just let's wait. Let's do it after the draft. Uh, not necessarily D'Amico Ryans put a hit on him, but it was just part of the process of bringing in D'Amico Ryans as I heard it. Now, I didn't report this because this was basically other people in our world, GMs, coaches, the kind of people that go to owner meetings, telling me, hey, this is what I have been hearing, and they usually know things. So I didn't report it. I just stood on it. Then some rumor, reports of rumors started coming out. So finally, I piled onto a tweet from Mike Florio, uh, who said, the rumor is that Nick Casario, blah, blah, blah. And I said, to further flesh out that rumor, the talk is that the Texans would then target 49ers assistant general manager Adam Peters. So I guess I'm now piling on to a report of a rumor. It's not I'm not reporting this is happening, but I am reporting that there's a lot of talk that Nick Casario, not of his own volition, would be gone after the draft and that D'Amico Ryan's guy that they would want is Adam Peters. They've obviously worked together in San Francisco. Adam Peters is a very well-regarded personnel guy who took his name out of the hat uh, when Tennessee and Arizona had their recent openings and basically said, hey, I, I like it in San Francisco. I like being John Lynch's number two. I'm good for now. Now, that could have been theoretically with knowledge that, hey, Houston is looking like it might happen. That could have happened independently or these could all be rumors. But um, I don't think I, I think there was so much talk that at least this is being pondered. Um, all right, let's pivot to you're going to cover some games for the San Francisco Chronicle. Uh, you're good friends with Steve Kerr. They're easily the most interesting team in the league. So first of all, tell the audience most no, many don't. Your relationship with Kerr, who I covered in Portland and you've known for years. Well, so um, back when I was learning about journalism in high school, um, they would have told you, you have you can't cover, you know, a guy or a team that you love. And, you know, we as you know, we don't root for teams the way fans do. That's not a thing. But I have to go full disclosure on Steve Kerr and he could. He knows how I was taught because he and I were high school journalists together. We co-wrote a sports column for our high school paper uh, in Los Angeles. Uh, the paper was called The Palisades Tideline. Our column was called The Riptide, and it lived down to its name. Trust me. <laughs> uh, and, uh, you know, he is, um, you know, he's a very good friend of mine and uh, an awesome person. And as we do with friends, I stick up for him. I'm so proud of all the things about him, including his coaching. So it's I can't be an objective person when it comes to him. But there's another wrinkle to this. I did grow up in Los Angeles, but I was like the only Warrior fan at our school because right. I was born in San Francisco. So I got clowned by everyone, including Steve Kerr, for being the Warrior guy. So the the... The deliciousness of all of this and the run of the last nine years, a lifelong Warrior fan working for NFL Network for most of it. So I didn't have to worry about journalism because I don't cover basketball. And Steve, it's been an incredible ride. Well, now I'm at the San Francisco Chronicle. I am a columnist. And though columnists give their opinion, uh, you know, we cover 
things. And so now I'm in this weird position where it's like, I'm not really a warrior fan anymore because I'm a columnist, but I grew up one. I've been one for all these Cur years, and of course, I am rooting for my friend. So I am going to write the first of several warrior columns. Uh, that it's I'm going to write it after this podcast, and and probably tomorrow morning. And I'm going to go full disclosure. Uh, Steve Kerr's my boy. Here are some things I love about him. But you know, of course, when Steve and I talk about this stuff and joke, I'm always like. Yeah, dude, I'm going to say the game has passed you by. If the Warriors, you know, anyone could coach the Warriors, but it's time for a change, and I'm going to bring the hammer down. Mike Silver is always money. The volume. Make sure to check out the Draymond Green show. I brought Draymond Green into the volume because one of the more entertaining voices in sports, unique perspective, understands behind the rope. Also chops up with guests like Gary Payton, Zach Levine, Tracy McGrady. Make sure download the Draymond Green show wherever you get your podcasts, only on the volume podcast network. It's Freddie Prinze Jr. and Jeff Dye back in the ring. Wrestling with Freddie makes its triumphant return for an electrifying fourth season. Hey, Jeff, are you ready to rumble our way into an all-new season of Wrestling with Freddie? You better believe I have. I've been practicing my body slams, and I'm jacked. All right, don't go injuring yourself now. We'll be highlighting the best stories and matches of the week in wrestling from AEW, WWE, and have one-on-one talks with the best talents in the world of pro wrestling. Listen to Wrestling with Freddie on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Saleya Mosin, and I've covered economic policy for years and reported on how it impacts people across the United States. In 2016, I saw how voters were leaning towards Trump and how so many Americans felt misunderstood by Washington. So I started The Big Take D.C. We dig into how money, politics, and power shape government and the consequences for voters. With new episodes every Thursday, you can listen to The Big Take D.C. on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.